the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. In just a few moments, we'll get an update from Curtis Hauk. Curtis Hauk is the managing editor of Newsbusters.org, a website that sort of takes a look at where the fake news is going and what they're doing. Uh, and we will see what he has to say. We'll also talk later on in the program. I'm going to do a whole segment on a friend of mine and how he, if there is a Republican majority in the U.S. House, he, a congressman from Missouri, has a chance to make a huge difference for our country and uh, for uh, each of the citizens of our country, especially Missouri, where he's from, but also for everybody. And I'll talk to you more about him. His name is Congressman Jason Smith of, of Missouri. You've heard me talk about him. Uh, and I want you to know the backstory of why I think he could be one of the more important political leaders in the country over the next few years. So we'll talk about that. But first, what do you need to know? What do you need to know today? I want to talk about the reality of the phrases that have been in the press for a couple of days. So Georgia Maloney, Georgia Maloney of um, of uh, Italy, who will likely be the prime minister. There is some sort of convoluted process where she has to be appointed by the president after the sort of coalition election of the elections are done and the coalition is clear. I think that will happen. But she used to, she gave a speech that went viral in which she talked about how she didn't want to have to uh, give up her uh, who she was. She didn't want to be identified as, you know, person one. She wanted to be uh, mother. She didn't want to be identified as uh, citizen excuse me, one, she wanted to be Italian. She's a, it's really uh, a wonderful short speech that went viral. But what I want to talk about and what you need to know is that speech comes in the tradition, in a tradition of using language to show priorities. And she got attacked for it. The phrase she used was God, country, and family. And by the way, one of the most famous versions of this, it's lost to our younger people, but um, uh, General um, MacArthur, uh, Douglas MacArthur, when he was giving his uh, his famous speech, uh, no, no, uh, Old Soldiers Never Die, he, he referred to duty, duty, uh, country, and God. Duty, uh, duty, country, and God. Oh, let me make sure. Let me make sure on that. Um, but what I want to point you to is the prioritization of the phrase phrases. And one of the things that I have argued for many, many years now, probably six or seven, was that the, the recovery of the phrase America first is really important. Because America first was used in the 1950s and 60s. It was used to some effect by the late Phyllis Schlafly, my boss. She would talk about the America first uh, people and the American lasters is what she did. But certainly it went out of use for a couple of decades. And Donald Trump and, and his era brought it back. But first, let me pause and remind you on the, on the Eagle Awards that Phyllis Schlafly gives out. She gives out, she gave out Eagle Awards during her life to people that were doing a great thing. She, she had this inscription on this beautiful framed, uh, print that had an eagle in it. And she used this inscription. She said, with appreciation for your dedicated work, for God, family, and country. 
Now, I think better than Maloney, Georgia Maloney, better than MacArthur, better than anybody, Phyllis captures it. I don't think she would say it was original. Others talked about God, family, and country. But if you notice the priorities, the priorities of God, family, and country are completely consistent with the Declaration of Independence, with our notion of uh, the rule of law, the Constitution, the rule of law in America, that there's a God, a creator, there is then families, the family unit, and then country, and that it is in that order, and that is a a priority order. One goes before the other. One is prior to the other. And that, again, God, family, and country, seems to me to be at the heart of of what will be, what is the recovery in this country of a sense of America's special place in the world, of America's role in the world, of what our nation means. We're not just a state, we're a nation. We're not just a government, we're a nation. We're ethno-religious people living together, sharing values and a vision for the future. And so what you need to know is Georgia Maloney tapped into something extraordinary. I mean, she truly did. The people listening to her, they first of all, they related to her idea that she was just wanted to be able to be who she was, a mother, a sister, a wife, uh, a, uh, a, an Italian. She didn't want to have to play all these uh, gender uh, naming games. But also, they recognized the priorities. They recognized, no matter whether you agree with her or not, because again, hers was God, nation, and family, at least the way it was reported in that speech. But it was close, right? It's close. It's closer. The ordering is there. And here's what I want to say about America first. I've talked about this before, but I want to come back to it because I want to underscore how important it is. Because if you understand this set of priorities, again, God, family, and country, you you then have a, a foreign policy, a domestic policy, a policy of federal versus state versus local. It's all informed by that. And when we had America first, I would tell people it was a little bit like the, the old uh, the sort of a joke I used to hear and, and tell. If you if you um, if you're told love your neighbor as yourself and every night you pulled into your driveway and you gave your money, your work money your salary to your neighbor, you handed it to him out the window. After a couple of weeks or months, your own family would be saying, um, wait a second. You can't love your neighbor as yourself and ignore your family because part of yourself is your family. And so my argument would be, when you listen to the word of God, when you hear what God calls us to, love your neighbor as yourself, other, other, uh, there's other uh, prescriptions and, and restrictions, but that to me is one that captures a lot of it. The first part is love yourself. And you can only love yourself by loving yourself and your spouse. That's my opinion. Some people disagree, but certainly family. So if you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself, you got to start with yourself, which is your family. And then you love your neighbor, which is your neighbor, not the strangers, not everyone. Before you love you, you, you before you love the strangers, you have to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, it's it's not love everybody, although we do love everybody. We're called to love all people created in the image and likeness of God. My point here is America first, it's a revitalization of America. After a period of about 40 years, 50 years, post-World War II, where we drifted further and further away from a sense of God, family, and country, and towards a sense of pure self, love yourself, and from there you can figure out what else you love. You know, the self-referential, you know, a point of view informed by psychobabble, informed by consumerism, that's a big part of it. 
That's a huge part of it. Consumerism, because it's, it's me that consumes itself referential. So we drifted for 40 or 50 years and we're seeing a revitalization. Now it's not easy because the forces that prefer to have us stay away from family, away from nation, away from God are strong. Mostly they're demonic, but that's another part of this. And so when you hear America first, when you hear Georgia Maloney, when you uh, go back and listen to MacArthur, you should return to a question of how do we set the priorities for we the people? And here's where what you need to know is we have our framework. So for those that believe in God, family, and country, you start with God and God's word. And from there, you, God's word informs how the family is. And you know what the family is. You're not confused by changing the definitions of a, of a pregnant person from a mother, a woman, a wife. You're not confused by the changing of a definition of marriage into throuples and, 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 uh, and whatever. But further, when you get to the definition of country, def- definition of nation, you have this requirement that you look towards each other in a nation before you look to the world, before you look to other priorities. It's, it's God, family, and country. And what you need to know is that's a revival. It's happening as a revival all around us. It is. It is truly happening all around us. And you're seeing it in the assertion of parents' role in their kids' education and the changing of our broken education system to allow vouchers, Arizona's charging ahead. You're seeing it in, ter- in terms of the intensity of people caring about how local governments are working, working and candidates running for office based on principles of, hold on, let's not fund or fight foreign entanglements when we have a lot to do here with our neighbors. Let's not allow an open border that changes the definitions of, of who we are, both in terms of law-breaking and an, uh, an ethno-religious community. Well, I mean, we, we can't control it if we can't control it, if you get my point. You can't decide how you want to be if you can't control the border. And those questions of sovereignty, those questions of, of are, are, we're, we're seeing a revitalization of them. And my challenge, and what you need to know, is we have to continue to inform ourselves on the right priorities, on the right sort of, it's not ranking, because just because you choose God, family, and country doesn't mean one is better than the other. It does mean that one is prior to the other. You can't have a good family if you don't have God. You can't have a good country if you don't have good families and, and 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 a closeness with God. That's the truth. It doesn't mean they're better than the other. It means that they're prior. They are a requirement. You can love God, be close to God, be in faith, know God, and not have a family. It happens. People don't have families or they lose their families or they're gone. I don't know that, that, that you still have a mother and a father. But my point is, in, in time, you can be living in a place where your family's gone and you're single, you don't have kids or something. I mean, there's lots of ways that can be. And likewise, you can be from a place, a, a national place, and be living in other places, right? You can be a migrant. That's true. But the ranking, what you need to know is God, family, and country. That is what America First is challenging us to do. And we've got to figure it out by going back to our founding documents, going by going forward with faith and courage and commitment and a sense of fearlessness because we know the truth. 
there you have that's what that's what georgia maloney tapped into that's what uh, america first taps into that's what you're seeing and it's wonderful it's wonderful all right we gotta take a break we'll come back we'll talk with curtis Houck and a lot more it's ed martin here on the pro america report don't forget visit proamericareport.com sign up there for the daily email and also you can uh, go there and see segments of the show interviews and uh, all that right there proamericareport.com we'll be back in a moment it's ed martin here on the pro america report talk to you soon Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, catching up with uh, Curtis Houck. He's been on the show before. He is the uh, uh, managing editor over at uh, the Newsbusters, newsbusters.org. He, uh, uh, it's a great site. It's really um, kind of important in the land, especially in this era of the fake news. You get a lot of things pulled back. And I saw this story a day or two ago, or this uh, pitch on, on something that he was commenting on. I said, I want to talk to him. So we're now in the midst of it in many ways and so it's a little different we want to be respectful but um curtis welcome back first of all to the program how are you yeah thanks ed uh good to be with you how are you i'm doing fine i'm doing fine and uh, let me remind folks that you can follow uh, curtis also on twitter at curtis how h-o-u-c-k is his last name and uh so uh, uh, newsbusters.org what i got a couple days ago was you watched the ramp up to a t- terrible hurricane, which we're, you know, we're in the midst of now and, and we're in the midst of suffering and fear and everything else. But the media was sort of blatantly, if you follow it, and I follow it enough to see it, but you guys actually, newsbusters.org looks really close. They basically were, you know, teeing up uh, DeSantis to fail or to struggle or saying, you know, not, oh, I hope they get through this, but how can we start picking it apart? It walked me through, Curtis, whether mm-hmm. is this usual? Uh, is it worse than usual because of DeSantis? Is it worse than usual because clicks mean dollars? What's your feeling? Yeah, and I think there's a number of different factors at play here. You know, one, we have, yes, it's the DeSantis factor. DeSantis is very popular. He's in the midst of relaxation against uh, turncoat Charlie Crist. You are dealing with an unpopular president with a myriad of crises, both here and abroad. Um you have the historic nature of the hurricane. And so leading up to the actual storm, I will say that yesterday when the storm came ashore and, and thus far on uh, th- you know Thursday, there's not really, it's dialed back a little bit because they know that the Spanish bashing doesn't go quite as far as look at this video of a house floating in the ocean, you know, but like in the lead up to it, it definitely was the prevailing narrative out there where they were wondering, making this about DeSantis versus Biden, whether the state would be ready because DeSantis wouldn't call Joe Biden, you know, even though it goes both ways that Joe Biden could have reached out to governor DeSantis, like he eventually did. Um, and so in the White House press briefing on Tuesday, that was a dominant theme where you had reporters asking questions of the theme administrator, wondering if DeSantis has been difficult. Have the communications been unusual or have there been challenges of working with him? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and it's completely, you know, a irrelevant in credit to the theme administrator. She's up there and she's like, you know, what? Like, what? You know, not understand, you know, the left being so pure bureaucracy, they don't understand that like FEMA has 
a Southeast regional administrator that like is embedded with the governor's team, right? So like anything they need from FEMA, they are able to get right away because he doesn't need to call Joe Biden. But yet the media, you know, I guess waiting for the hurricane, they can only show homes being boarded up with plywood so many times before they figured out that they needed to do something else at their time before the storm struck. Mm-hmm. It's uh, we're talking with uh, Curtis Hauk. It's uh, uh, newsbusters.org. Uh, he's a managing editor there. Um, I guess the one thing to think about is it worse now? I, I mean, and I'm you know, like I mm-hmm. could go back in time to uh, it's different because there's so much ability to communicate, um, you know, quickly as social media as well as um, you know, the news sites are really just aggregators of video and all. So, you know, is it even worse than five years ago, or is this the new and maybe stay different? Is this a new standard? If you're a, if you're a leading conservative slash Republican, you're going to be uh, in this position, and to think differently is just you know silly. There, there's all there's going to be questions raised, and you're absolutely right. You know, the worst that we saw in the lead up to the storm was Tuesday night. We had Joy Reid, uh, you know, complaining that Governor Ron, quote, Governor Ron DeSantis is going to be put to the test, forced to do his actually job when he's used to spending most of his time hanging out on Fox News and owning the libs. Uh, and then she added, while Biden has been grinding out the sometimes thankless job of governing, Republicans have been waging these giddy little culture wars to own the libs. Uh, and then she also somehow strangely dragged in the transgender protests, pro-trans children protests in dark blue northern Virginia, uh, again, against Governor Youngkin's pro-family, uh, pro-parental consent policies. Uh, so that was definitely the most extreme example that we saw that, you know, saying that Sanis was not, uh, preparing for the hurricane and you said owning the libs. And here again, Joy dishonestly and falsely tried to claim that FEMA and the Biden administration were the only ones doing the heavy lifting, getting ready to batten down the hatches when in a situation like this, it required, you know, you hear it all the time or state, local, federal partners, uh, you hear that all the time. Uh, in a tornado and flooding, uh, wildfires. You hear this uh, law enforcement, you know, after a mass shooting or like any crime when they're on the hunt for someone that they really need to nab. Uh, but yet, Joy Reid decided that, yeah, it's Biden has to do this. Oh my gosh, it's so tough to be Biden, I guess, at this point. But yes, I think when it comes to disaster coverage, we all saw what happened five years ago with Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. They savaged President Trump. Instead, they elevated some communist mayor of San Juan, Mayor Cruz, who now, once people realize, is corrupt and a communist. Uh, really, the only place that she would get booked last week when Hurricane Fiona <laughs> came through was CNN. Not surprising. Right. They were the only ones right. that were really interested in her. Uh, we're talking with Curtis Hauk again, uh, newsbusters.org, and also his uh, Twitter feed at Curtis Hauk. Um, I remember, Curtis, when I was chief of staff to the 
governor uh, of Missouri in the early 2000s. And I remember calling someone who had been in the game a long time before me. had worked, I think, for Governor Ashcroft. Uh, John Ashcroft had been governor in the 80s. And and I said to him um, uh, in the 90s, actually, I said to him, you know, what about this? What about that? And I said, what about I just got briefed on the New Madrid fault in south uh, eastern south Missouri. If there's an earthquake, we're in trouble. And he said, yeah. And he said, I'll tell you something. He said, when the floodwaters rise, you don't know how to handle it. You're going to do the best you can. And it's going to be easy to cherry pick the problems. And and he said, so you just better hope the floods, the waters don't rise. You know, we talk about the Missouri and the Mississippi. And it was true. We actually had some flooding. I think we had a tornado. And, and you know, you can't control that, right? You can't see it coming. In Florida, DeSantis actually has something of a record uh, dealing with these hurricanes, as do other governors, right? I mean, you know, you just, mm-hmm. there's no doubt you're going to face that as a governor. So first of all, how's his record been in general? Yeah. I mean, and again, second, how do, what do you do when you get... The, 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 the game-changing hurricane, in a weird way, I, there's not much. You're still going to end up with death and destruction, and somehow the media is going to try to blame him. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. I mean, DeSantis, you know, he had a piece in Politico that tried to claim that Ron DeSantis had not dealt with a hurricane in his time as <laughs> right. governor. Uh, Politico had was forced to update it. You know, just one of them was Hurricane Sarah that hit in, you know, October 2021. So... Just over a year Years ago. ago, so you know. Again, that's how lazy the media are, and how desperate they they were and lead up to the storm to attack him. And I'm sure that will be the case soon as well. The moment that power is not restored, you know, pronto, right, right, there are going to be right, problems. Right. Although, right. you know, in the case of Sanibel right now, the causeway, there's only one road in and out, a bridge, and three sections of the bridge are gone. Uh, DeSantis can't really fix that. So right. I think that's one aspect of the storm where uh, the media, uh, just based on common sense, uh, that the viewers would trash them for if they tried to bash them for, will kind of get a little bit of a mulligan because you, DeSantis can't replace a road. So, but, um, but I think, right, in this world of disaster, you know, and constant partisanship 24 7. That it is going to be an issue. Although I think part of the thing, problem for the news media is the American people know what's, what you were just saying about you can't plan for certain. You can plan, but you can't anticipate certain things. Right, right, like a hurricane, right. you can you know it's coming, but you don't know if a tornado is going to drop down. You don't know if there's going to be an earthquake. Um, you can kind of you get a little bit of a leeway if there's a tsunami, wildfire. <laughs> fire is right. unpredictable, just like wind is unpredictable. So those kind of things. I think people understand that you know, there's only so much that you can do yourself to prepare. And so yeah. the news media are kind of left the only ones at the party. And that's just yeah. fine with us. Yeah. Well, I think you're right on that. And I think that that's, uh, I think the people are more savvy, although, you know, uh, an image is worth a thousand words. You know, you, the, the image of uh, George W. Bush looking out the window over Katrina, that's what everybody remembers. Exactly. Notwithstand- and notwithstanding 87,000 other things that he did. And, you know, he had been used to some of the things as governor of Texas. He'd seen a lot of natural disasters. He, you know, it, it's a, so, and that's where the, the media is uh, unfair. You either get 
get, uh, you know, either get that image or uh, who knows. But anyway, the, the good news is newsbusters.org is a place to go to see uh, what exactly right. is happening sort of behind the media curtain. Curtis Hauk is the managing editor. Thank you for your time, sir. And we'll be in touch soon. All right. Thanks, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We will be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I want to check in and tell you about something. I think it's important. And this is... um I, I actually was tr- going to try to find the clip. I didn't find it, but um, so welcome back, Ed Martin. Go to proamericareport.com, uh, sign up there, uh, get all our info there, and uh, uh, get clued in. All right, here, here's what I want to talk about. Wh- who's going to be the leaders in the next generation, right? Who's going to take uh, uh, control and be a leader, okay? Because if we continue to do the usual things over and over again, we won't win, meaning conservatives, we the people, you just can't do the same things. If you were a Tea Party person, and I was, uh, in St. Louis, I helped found the St. Louis Tea Party, and we thought, wow, look at all this success. And there there were aspects of it that were success, but mostly the powers that be learned how to wait out the Tea Party energy. That's just the truth. You can wish it was different, but that's the truth. But so that that's what happened, okay? And and the reality is that you you had to, you have to um, acknowledge that and say, how do you learn? And so as we go into a different period, we're going to see an election in six weeks. I believe it will be a, a a resounding success for Republicans, for we the people, for a lot of uh, America first type candidates, and they'll sweep into office. But when you're in office at the federal level, you still have to understand there is a system in place. You don't have to like the system. You can wish it was different. You can be someone who loves term limits. I do. But you have a system. And within the system, there have to be leaders who understand the system and how to make it work better for we the people, which gets me to who are going to be the leaders in the next Congress, the next House and Senate. And I want to propose to you all to take a hard look and to be encouraged by Jason Smith, a congressman from Missouri. Now, I'm not unbiased because I've known him for, I don't know, 10, 12 years, 13 years for a long time. And we'll talk in a moment how he was uh, uh, elected to Congress and to the House of Representatives and how that's a great factor in him being effective. But before we get to that, I want to tell you a quick story. He came, Jason Smith, Congressman Smith, he himself is a young guy. He's, uh, I don't know, is he, um, I never remember for sure. He's in his early 40s. He's a young guy. He's younger than I am. And he's been in office already for almost 10 years. Uh, But he's been very, very helpful whenever we do something with especially our collegians program. And so this last summer, he came over from the Capitol to the office of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, and he sat down and he did a, uh, a virtual presentation with me, a back and forth, an interview, talking about what was going on in Congress, talking about how things work. A lot of our college kids send questions in uh, through, the, through the process um, by text or otherwise, and it was great. But one of the things I was asking him was, you know, what do we do when we see priorities that got um, popular and got support? during the Trump administration, just disappearing. And he went into this lengthy explanation and then encouragement that, for example, on the wall, he and others, he's on the budget committee, has been for a few years, passed a budget that funded big portions of the wall and that it was proceeding. And that as soon as Donald Trump got out of office, Joe Biden got in, they stopped doing it. Now, we all agree the executive branch has certain authority, right? We have to, we don't want to um, say that there's not executive branch authority. On the other hand, when the U.S. Congress passes a bill and it's signed by the president, the next president doesn't get to just ignore it. 
He's got to come up or, or she someday has to come up with an argument why they're ignoring it. And Biden's people haven't. So there's a billion plus dollars, I think he said, that's been appropriated, ready to be spent on the wall, not being used. And he was giving it as an example of if you had control of the House and Senate or even just the House, you'd have control of the budgeting process under the Constitution and you'd be able to do something about it. Now, that to me is much more meaningful to have someone who understands the system, who is willing to do something about it than just grandstanding. Because in the next Congress, Fox News Channel and Newsmax and others will be in the market for heroic sound bites by conservatives. And frankly, so will CNN and MSNBC because they'll want to make their people crazy uh, about what's happening. You know, the, the liberal channels, MSNBC will want to have conservative sound bites so they can make their people nuts. And meanwhile, Fox will want sound bites to, to, to feed to the conservatives. None of that is bad. I'm just pointing out the business model. But it is bad when, instead of getting something done, you play for sound bites. And I'm not pointing fingers except to say what I told you about the Tea Party is true about the current environment, meaning they figured out how to steer Tea Party energy into dead ends so it didn't force change. A lot that happened. And they have figured out how to steer Republican anger, frustration into sound bites and Fox News appearances as opposed to getting something done. You get my point? We don't need more banging on the table oversight hearings that show up on Fox and make so-and-so a hero. We need real change. That's what Jason Smith was telling me. And I was very encouraged by how he was thinking about that. Now, let me pause and go back. One of the reasons I think that Jason Smith is a really good conservative in my estimation, is two is are two factors. One, he doesn't really owe anybody to get where he got. And two, he knows how to work the system. He's, and I'll get to that. So let me say first, he was elected. He was in the Missouri House and he was, I think, a, a deputy whip or something. He was in leadership because he's a smart guy. He, he's a lawyer. He went to Mizzou undergrad. Then he went to law school, I think Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. And he's a smart guy. So he was in, in leadership in the Missouri House. But in the Missouri House, he was uh, also he was uh, he's from the rural part of the state. So he's pretty conservative and pretty focused on those issues. When Joanne Emerson retired from the 8th Congressional District, uh, when she was out of office abruptly, let's just say it that way, there was this wide open process. And I was uh, in, in leadership of the Republican Party at the time. I was chairman. And we basically said, make the field wide. It's wide open. It's going to be picked by the committee for the 8th Congressional District to run. And there were 27 men and women that said they were going to run for the Republican nomination and, and get try to get the committee nod. OK, now, when you do that, you, you, whoever wins is going to be the congressman because it's a Republican district. So it became this process of talking to a massive committee and constituents about why you should be in office. And there was not fundraising. You didn't raise money. You didn't have to go out and be the one that raised a million dollars from special interests. You didn't have to be the one that ran to the defense industry or the financial services industry or had that backing. You weren't. There's other people in Missouri there that got their backing because they were donor types. Jason Smith knew a lot of donors, but that's not how you got the nomination. You got the nomination for this committee fight for the 8th Congressional District by sort of Hand to hand, meaning shaking hands and mouth to mouth, meaning, you know, talking to people, mouth to ear, I guess would be a better phrase. And the guy won.
And there were lots of other famous people. There was a sitting lieutenant governor, I think, at the time. There was a former uh, leader, executive director of the Republican Party. There was uh, the uh, one of the key uh, staffers for Joanne Emerson, a longtime congressman whose husband had been the congressman before her. And so there was a there was a there are lots of people that could have been the uh, the more obvious candidate if the power brokers were in charge. And Jason Smith fought his way through. Now, he comes up to Washington and he's a freshman. This is 10 years ago. And what does he do? He, he is conservative on every issue, on every vote. He was, I, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I, I, I think on, certainly on the key votes like pro-life and all, he's conservative. He's far from being a moderate, but he knows you got to get along. Nobody dislikes the guy. I mean, I see all the, I see the Tea Party guys, the, 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 the Freedom Caucus guys. I see the moderates. I know a lot of them. Nobody dislikes him. Why? Because he gets his job done. He does things smart. He pays attention and he moves up rapidly on the budget committee. Now, the budget committee in the House is very important because of uh, uh, the, the House only controls a certain number of things. One of them, they don't control appointments, right? They don't. That's the Senate. Advising consent is the Senate. They don't control uh, judges or ambassadors. That's the Senate. The main thing that they control is the budget. And the budget is a big deal, right? Grab them by the wallet. Jason Smith climbs up the ranks in the budget committee and is at every turn a conservative, but is a guy that sort of figures out the system, how it works, where the bodies are buried, what's going on. Very, very valuable. And then Trump wins. Now, I don't know. There were other congressmen that were out further sooner for Trump than Jason Smith. But as soon as Trump was sort of halfway through the primary system, Jason Smith and certainly was on board. And more importantly, he was one of the guys who helped figure out how to make the policies work in the House as much as you could, as much as could happen. There's lots of reasons to think about that. So here's my point. I believe that guys like Jason Smith it will be the kind of leader who will think creatively about how we hold the Biden administration accountable. Let me tell you another trick. If, you're, if your talking point is impeach Biden, well, I'm all for it. That's great. But it's unlikely to succeed because the Senate is not going to vote to to convict him. So what else do you have in your trick box? What else do you have in your tool belt? Give me something else that will make life better. Show me a vision of how you're going to hold accountable the IRS. There's talk of Jason Smith instead of being at budget. He might be ways and means. That's the guy that holds the IRS accountable. And he's talked to me about that. How are you going to hold the IRS accountable? How are you going to force transparency on the government? How are you going to do things to the Biden administration that will control their misuse of spending and also, and this is key, make it so the next Republican administration also is accountable, also is transparent? That's what conservatives do. So I'm, I'm more excited about my conversation with Jason Smith because he was talking not just about how you bang on the table and get on Fox News. Not, I'm not saying that's without value. We need good leaders. We need people that are willing to be out there. But now come back and show me how the system works uh, and, and, and how you can get your colleagues to do something. Because after the election in November, in every state house and in, in the U.S. Congress, now it comes down to a much smaller universe of people that need to be persuaded, that need to be guided, that need to be led. That's what Jason Smith has been doing, and he wants to do again. So my point is, I'm, I'm picking these out. I've told you about Tammy Nichols, who's going to be a state senator from Idaho. She's about to be elected. She's in the state. Uh, she's a state delegate. She's about to be elected to the state Senate. She's another example. We've got to find these leaders, encourage them, help them 
get where they need to go and make a difference. So that's my, uh, my story, my backstory. Uh, so, you know, about Jason Smith of Missouri, he's a guy to watch. He's a guy to get to know. Oh, and one more thing. He could have run for Senate. He, he was invited to run for Senate. By now, he's a well-known guy in Washington. They say to him, why don't you run for Roy Blunt's seat? They, we raised a gazillion dollars. He knew he could raise a gazillion dollars. And that's what he didn't do. He, he probably would have been an odds-on favorite, maybe the top two or three, certainly the top two or three. But he thought, no, it, it looks like I can see the tea leaves. It looks like there's a chance to make a difference in a big way for the nation in the U.S. House. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool story. So take a look uh, at Jason Smith, Congressman Jason Smith, who will play a big role in the next Congress uh, when the Republicans win the leadership and is worth watching. Also, I mentioned Tammy Nichols up in Idaho, also a great lady. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Back in a moment, it's Ed Martin on the ProAmerica Report. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Sponsored by Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this broadcast continues the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly and stands against forces that mock traditional values, slander America, and redefine the family. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. While the Biden administration vehemently argued about whether or not our nation is technically in a recession, the American people languish under the grave reality of an economy under leftist control. As we try to gauge the suffering of ordinary citizens, there are many numbers worth considering. Inflation is an obvious one. The recent 9.3% inflation rate is staggering compared to what we saw under Donald Trump. His inflation rate never went up to 3%, let alone 9 And I certainly don't think I need to remind you about what gas prices have been like under President Biden. Yet one of the economic numbers that troubles me most is a recent report that consumer credit card debt skyrocketed by 13% in the second quarter of 2022. We haven't seen increases like this in more than two decades. Among Americans 25 years and younger, the number is an even more staggering 30% increase. With the average interest rate of credit cards at over 19%, this is like a double tax on the already astronomical inflation rates. Obviously, our nation is suffering under the economic pressures of this inept Biden administration. While it is tempting to lay all of the blame on Joe Biden, let's also remember the role that personal responsibility plays when it comes to personal finance. Many states require public school students to go through a personal finance class in order to graduate. But parents should never rely on the government to teach the values that ought to be taught at home. In a world where lenders like Capital One spend a billion dollars per quarter to sell credit cards, children need to be taught that it's up to them to secure their financial futures. The rapid rise of credit card debt ought to speak volumes about the Biden administration's failures. But it should also be an indicator that it's time for Americans to take matters into their own hands. Make financial literacy a goal for yourself and teach it to your children so they don't have to depend on the good graces of the government or a credit card company to live with dignity. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For the U.S. economy to flourish, free enterprise needs to be rewarded. Competition and capitalism need to be encouraged. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find alerts and strategies for strengthening our economy and standing against socialism. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Got to finish up because I went long on those uh, segments. But let me just say, I want to I spend this time and I want to encourage you all to join me. Our great producer, Noah Dingley, uh, who does such a great job on my show, Andrew Kay's show. He's a real, he does his own programming, his own show. He's really a super guy. He's getting married. Uh, he's getting married this weekend. And I just want to wish him well and ask you to join me in prayer for he and his lovely wife. Um, he deserves happiness. She deserves Noah. There you go. And uh, it's great. He's a great guy. So uh, congratulations to our dear friend, Noah Dingley, and the producer of this program. God bless you. God bless your wedding and the marriage. You are a special man, and uh, we wish you well, and we'll be praying for you. So uh, God bless you. All right, we'll take a break. I mean, excuse me. We'll be back tomorrow. See, I need Noah around me. i got to keep these things on track. Back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.